0: We're starting a new series today. It's called Love Isn't. Love Isn't. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that there's a lot of things that we talk about in our culture. We've, we've written stories, made movies. We have songs. We do, you know, there's paintings regarding, you know, love. It just occupies so much of our life and that type of thing. But we're going to talk about what love isn't. You know, there's some things that we believe that it is in our culture, and it's actually not those things. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for all the things that you've done for us. We give our lives to you. Jesus, again, I want you to be front and center of what takes place here today. Just in our midst, let us sense your presence. Here and online where people are watching, just, just let us have an awareness, Lord, that this is about you. And because you're here and you're the story changer, I declare this is a story-changing place. Jesus, have your way Your Holy Spirit, just have your way in this place. Have your way in me. And so we lift up our nation before you. I pray that the body of Christ would awaken to the call of God, to the mission you've given us, that we make disciples. And we look to you and we trust you. And so we lean in because your love for us is unquestionable. To speak to us, to correct us, to direct us, to encourage us. And Lord, again, just use me today. We ask you for all of this in Jesus' name. And together we said... Amen. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. Now, if you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis, the New Testament starts with Matthew, and 1 John is in the New Testament. Here's a bit of mystery. 1 John is actually not the first book of John that you'll run into. And so, it's like this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's not the one you're looking for. After that, it's Acts, and then Romans, and First and Second Corinthians, you'll keep going It's almost to the end. And maybe the easiest way to tell you to get there is that the last book of the Bible is Revelation. The book before that is Jude. And the book before that is 3 John, then 2 John, and then 1 John. So, 1 John, well, thank you. Anyway, you're welcome. Anyway, so 1 John, it was actually a letter written by the Apostle John. He was a follower of Jesus. He was the last apostle uh, to pass away. He was the only one that was not martyred. They tried, they were ineffective at doing that with him. And so. Um, and so he wrote this letter to believers. He talks a lot about the love of God and that type of thing. And so when we think about what the love of God is and God's love for us, what, what does that look like? How is it demonstrated? So in 1 John chapter 4, we'll start with verse 7. He says this, dear friends, and you know, to me that, that then gives an implication of who he's writing to. These are his friends. These are other believers, followers of Jesus. Dear friends, let us continue. Everybody say Continue. Let us continue to love one another. So, you know, he's encouraging them. Hey, you know, which means that sometimes it can be tough to continue to love people. Sometimes, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I get tired of loving some of you. I mean, it's just really hard, you know, and I say that kind of in fun. Um, But, and I know that it can be incredibly tough to love me at times. You know, my my oldest son's up here, and so he's had to try to do that for 33 years, and it hasn't always been easy, has it? Yeah. thank you for agreeing with me so enthusiastically. Anyway, so... (laughs) So it's not always been easy, you know, and um, and so, but he's encouraging us. Let's continue to love one another. Let's continue to love one another, for love comes from God. It comes from God. It originates from Him. Now, let me just say this while I'm reading this. Today, it, it's like one of one of my. It's, it's a more challenging message. So, so you're going to leave out of here and like feel pretty challenged today. I think when this is all said and done, and I'm not apologizing. I'm just I'm kind of preparing you. So, so put your big. Your big boy pants on, your big girl, whatever, whatever it is, you know, put, just put them on, okay? So, I don't even want to go there. Anyway, so, um, let's continue, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Notice this, but anyone, anyone who does not love does not know God. So, anybody that doesn't love, that continually operates in hate and that type of thing does not know God. Why? For God is love. It doesn't say that God has love. It doesn't say that he loves us. It, it, it says, literally says he is love. God is love. Now, how many of you agree with that statement? Let me see your hand if you agree that God is love, okay? Okay, good, good. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want to, you to answer it out loud. And because I realize some of you just listen to every other word I say. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to ask you a question. And I don't want you to answer it out loud. So if you heard answer it loud, then you did not hear it, okay? <laughs> answer it out loud, okay? So if if we, you know, if the majority of us believe that God is love, and somebody were to ask you to define then, define what love is, and, and again, don't answer this other thing, but what would you say? What characteristics or qualities of what, what example would you use of This is what love does. This is what love is. Love would never do this. Love would always do this. Love isn't that that type of thing. You know, the problem is is that oftentimes when we make that statement that God is, you know, again, the majority of people, the majority of people, even non-Christians, people that believe in a supreme being or whatever, believe that God is love. And oftentimes, whenever Christians take a stance or something like that, people often come back and go, well, you know, you're, you're just harsh and judgmental. And, you know, God would never do that because God is love. And there being an implication that, that God does, you know he's, he's, you know, he's just kind of this person that kind of goes along with us and just kind of applauds and cheers us no matter what's going on in our world. And, and the reason is, is because whenever we hear that God is love, that I'm, uh, I really want you to lean into this because this first point is kind of the foundation for this series. That when we hear this, that God is love, we decide we know what love is, then say, this is what God is like. So people hear they, you know, they hear that God is love, and that, you know, thank you. And so anyway, they hear that God is love, and then they're like, and so then we say, okay, well, love is like this, so God is like this. But But what if the definition that you have for love is incorrect. What what if it's not an accurate picture of what love is and yet that's what you believe love is so you ascribe god to being that way. And then anybody that does or says something that's contrary to that you view them as unloving. And I don't want to get so worried that you're kind of like, "What?" But but the truth of the matter is, is that we have it backwards. That we hear that God is love, so we go to him already believing that we know what love is. So I know what love is, and so if God is love, then he must be this. And and we have it backwards. It shouldn't be that way. What it should be is is that that we should learn what God is like. We should learn what God is like, and then we will know what love is like. It's not, well, I know love, and therefore if God's love, then he's like this. It, It should be. Well, I want to know God, and as I get to know him, then he'll reveal to me what love is really like. And so number one is this, is that since God is love, we should look to him to define what love is. Not culture, not what my best friend has told me, not what some book I've read says. Not the record that I used to listen to when I was in high school and my girlfriend would break up to me, and it was just this love song that just kind of comforted me in that moment say, so why would you bring that up as an example? You just mind your own business. Okay, so, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not any of those things. Now, in fairness, there may be elements of those things that communicate characteristics of what his love is like. But th- those aren't things that we can look to to define what love is. We have to get to know him because he is love. And then in knowing him, then we know, we begin to know what love is. So number one is this. Is that since God is love, we look to him to define what love is. Uh, let's keep reading there. So it says this. He says, um, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us. He showed us. Well, how did he do that? By sending his one and only son into the world. So that we might have eternal life through him. Maybe eternal life through Jesus. This is real love. It's not a counterfeit it's the real thing this is real love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins dear friends since God loved us that much we surely ought to love each other no one has ever seen God but if we love each other God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. Let me read that again. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. We put our trust in His love. Say this, say, I have have put my trust trust in God's love. love. So I put my trust in love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Now, the main context here is talking about eternal life. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about what happens to us when we leave this earth. Now, it's revealing to us that... Like, in my life, if you were to ask me, where do I believe that I'll go when I leave this earth, when I die? I would say that I believe I'll go to heaven. And some of you would say, well, yeah, that's because everybody goes to heaven. I don't believe that. I don't believe that everybody goes to heaven. Well, that's because you think you're just really, a really you're really good. No, I don't believe that either. Because sometimes I'm not really good. Sometimes I'm really not good really bad. So it's, it's not because I'm good enough. My trust is not in my behavior. My confidence is not in that. Well, it's because you go to church every Sunday. Well, I think we should go to church. I think it's, I think it's, it's significant for us to be healthy spiritually. I think it's hard to be healthy spiritually if you're not connected to a local body of believers, doing community with them. But my trust is not in that. I won't go to heaven because when, you know, when I appear, they go, uh, how do you, why should you be here? Well, I went to Cedar Point just about every week. <laughs> and they would be like, well, we knew the pastor down there. That's not really a big deal. And so, <laughs> no, my, the reason why I believe I'll go there is not because I put confidence in the, not because I believe that everybody goes because I don't believe that everybody goes. Not because I believe I've been such a good person, because a lot of days I'm not a good person. Some days I'm, like, incredibly selfish. Sometimes I get mad and say and do things that don't represent Jesus at all. Sometimes I can be insecure and respond out of my insecurity. So, no, I don't have any confidence in how good I am. My trust isn't in that. The reason why I believe I'll be in heaven is because I have trust in what Jesus has done. And I received him into my life, and he did that because he loves us. We know that God loves us because he showed us by sending Jesus to die for us. So my trust in eternity has nothing to do with how good I am because I'm not always doing the right thing. It has nothing to do with the fact that I attend church regularly, and I believe that we should. It has nothing to do with where I was born. It has nothing to do with how I vote, what party I'm registered with. It has everything to do with the fact that my trust, my confidence is in Jesus. Now, so first of all, the context of this is that we trust in his love. So if you're taking us somewhere too, is this we need to trust what real love is. But I think there's another thing that would be safe to say that as we look at what love isn't, And maybe it changes the way that we describe love from here on out and the things that we attribute to love that maybe in reality aren't love. Sometimes they're just enabling. Sometimes they're just things that we just, you know, it just makes us feel better. That we need to trust that as God begins to change how we view love and how we respond to certain situations. That it may require me to change the things that I do or how I respond to God or what my expectations are of myself or how I live my life. That I have to have confidence that even though now this looks different than what I thought it was, that even when I don't always understand it, because I trust him, I trust what he says love is because he is love. So, number two is we need to trust what real love is. Now, let's go to point three. And and so, you know, it's the way we see our eternity. when, When love is different than what we thought, we still trust his love. So let's go to number three, and this is the point I want to get to in this. Let's go to Jude Uh, chapter one, Jude is like the next to the last book of the Bible. So if you're in 1 John, if you'll move after 1 John and 2 John, then 3 John, and then Jude. And Jude is like a one-chapter book. It's actually a letter that a guy named Jude wrote. Some of you like, Jude, is that the guy the Beatles sang about? Not even close. Okay, so he was actually um, the half-brother of Jesus. Jude was. And so and so he, he was a, you know, he was a Christ follower. He was a Christian. So he wrote this down. And in Jude 1, verse 2, or verse 3, it says this. So he says, he says, Dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. So he was planning on writing them a letter. And he was going to write to them about the salvation that we all share. But then he, he that was changed. He's getting ready to explain to us why. I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. So instead of writing about salvation, he's he's saying, look, we've got to defend this faith. Well, it it sounds to me like it was under attack. What was going on in that church at that time that would make their faith under attack to a point that Jude would, would have to say, look, we've got to defend the faith? Well, he tells us. Urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. Saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. So he said people had come into the church saying that because, God, because God's grace is so incredible that he doesn't care what we do or how we live. That in the early church, that this is just a few decades after the, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe 20 or 30 years that they're already dealing with that in the church. It's kind of the same stuff we're dealing with in today's church. That again, when, people, when you ask people, again, some of them not even Christians. say, oh, I believe that God is love. And you begin to ask them, what does love look like? What, what does that sound like? They begin to give a definition of what that is. And, and all of a sudden begin to put expectations. It, and if it doesn't look anything like they already have this preconceived idea, well, it must not be love. And, and yet he's saying right here that people are saying, man, God's grace is so marvelous that you can do whatever you want. And he's like, we've got to fight against that. We have to come against, we have to defend the faith against that. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. For they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. But later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God uh, God gave them, but left the place where they belong. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. And so he said, man, he said that, that we have to defend the faith because some people have said that the grace of God is indifferent to how we live. And a similar voice and maybe it's always been this way. Maybe that's always been one of the enemy's lies. Well, a matter of fact, in the garden, you think about this, that whenever he was tempting Eve, he said, what has God told you? And, and she said, well, you know, God said that we shouldn't eat this because if we do, we'll die. And the, one of the very first things he said was, you won't die. In other words, there's no judgment that will come because of this. The thing that he's always attacked... Is, that, is to try to make us feel like that you know that God's worthy of being recognized as a creator. He's worthy of being recognized and, and just kind of saluted, kind of acknowledged in our life. But as far as surrendering our world to him and letting him desert, determine how we live our lives, no. And so he said that we have to defend the faith and say that Now, I've said this this part right here, I've said a lot lately, and, you know, and, and just, just kind of just fit with what I've talked about, like, you know, for Tina and I, you know, and, and I finally have it right, I did the math right, that in October, we will be, have been married 36 years, all right? So, yeah, here we go. I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself that I had that figured out before I got up here. So, anyway, but, but, and the truth of the matter is, is that I love her more now than I did when we first got married. And so, or I, don't, maybe, I don't know if that's what you say, it, but my love for her has grown. I, I don't know how else to put it, but uh, you get what I'm saying. But let me help you on this, and that is that my love for her has grown. I haven't gotten to a point where it's like, babe, I love you. I love you so much. If you want to date other men, it's okay with me. I mean, I don't feel that way. <laughs> Matter of fact, my, my love for her is just the opposite. I don't become indifferent to her behavior. Her behavior matters more to me. And for whatever reason, we've gotten to a place where God loves me. And, and even though maybe we may not say this, but the things that we fight about and fight for, the implications, God loves me, so he doesn't care what I do. And that's just deception. That we have to, that, 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 that rots at the faith that we're given. Now, let me just say this, too, on the other side of it. Look, in this body and this flesh, I'll never be perfect. Ever. There's a work that will be ongoing in me until the very, until I I take my last breath. There will always be a work that God's will. There's some things in my life that for decades I've struggled with. But not once in them have I ever sensed in that season, I've sensed the mercy of God. I've sensed the grace of God. I've sensed the correction of God. But I've never sensed the indifference of God regarding that. I've sensed him. Correct me. And, and I, you know, one of the things, you know, so often we talk about God's love for us. That, but, you know, one of the things we have to talk about, too, is our love for him. What does that look like? And so, you know, love, is, it's not indifferent. That, you know, that it's not indifferent to how I live my life. That Jude wrote this. Saying that we have to defend our faith because the attack on it is, is that this marvelous grace that he's given us gives us permission to do whatever we want to do. He said, we have to come against that grace. The expectation of grace is always higher. Not to save me, we're saved by what Jesus has done. We're saved by the cross. And by the resurrection, the fact that he took our sin upon him, and we put our trust and confidence in him and that expression of love, that we trust in his love, then we have a relation with him. But as a result of that, that surrender should impact the way that we walk and the way that we live. Jesus, even in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave an example. He said, You've heard that it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, he was talking to a bunch of Jewish people, and he said, You've heard that it said, they had heard that it had been said, it had been said in the Old Testament. Can I be real transparent with you? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth means that if you, you know, like if you hurt my eye, I can hurt your eye. Whenever it's my eye that's being hurt, I like eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. My my natural inclination is: okay. It's on. Now, as I've gotten older, I've had to get a little smarter. (laughs) I said a little. And so. But the truth of the matter is, is that the expectation of grace is that that's no longer what we do. Matter of fact, the expectation of grace is if somebody smites you on one cheek, offer the other. Which is harder for you? I don't know which one's harder for me. I mean, you know, when people say things about me on social media that's not even true, I want to get on social media because it's obviously the best place to deal with stuff. Right. I mean, if I, if I, if you, you know, if you lie about me or you say things about me that aren't true, I mean, I should really get on social media and we should just get on there and just really go after it. Because anytime I see that, I'm like, those are smart people there. (laughs) Matter of fact, I I told my my kids were growing up. They would tell I would tell them this. I said, look, only stupid people fight in public. And actually that wasn't the word I used. I used the word crazy, but that just sounded too harsh, so I thought I would change it to stupid. That's kinder. But (laughs) right. (laughs) So but I mean the truth of the matter is that grace calls me to more. I'm not I'm not saved by that behavior. But grace is trying to elevate me to a different place. I'll close with this this one passage here in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark is the second book of the New Testament. Mark was a follower of Jesus. A lot of church historians believe that he traveled with Peter when Peter went around and shared the gospel. And so he's writing down accounts of things that happened that Peter gave him. So in Mark 10, verse 17, it says this. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. Knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments, they're divided up into two categories. One set of the commandments are things, what our life looks like when we love God with all of our heart. In other words, when I love God the way I'm supposed to, I don't put anything in front of him. I don't take his name in vain. I set aside time to spend with him. So I don't do that anymore out of command. I do that now out of relationship, out of love, that when I love him that my life will look something like this. And then to love my neighbor as myself, those commandments are don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And every commandment that Jesus quoted him were commandments that had to do not with our love for God, but with our love for each other. And so the guy's response is interesting to me. The man, teacher of the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, and again, we don't really know the context in it. You know, his context could have been he was very proud of himself. Like, hey, I guess I'm there because I'm doing those things. Or it could have been disappointment, like, Really? I'm doing that. And there's still something missing in my life. Looking at the man, listen to this, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. So Jesus looked at him, he felt genuine love for him. So he's getting ready to show us what love looks like in a moment here. And it will be different than what some people have thought love is. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. So the challenge he gave him is go and do this. You say, is that his expectation of all of us? I don't think if he was standing in front of me, he may not give me the same challenge he gave him. He would give me a challenge, though. And I think the thing he confronted to this guy, that he confronted the idol in his life, that gets in the way of him having a closer relationship with God. I, I think all of us, I think so, I, I can speak for me. There, there's a few things in my life that, that try to challenge me in my relationship with the Lord. And I don't mean not to have one with him, but to even to be as close to him as I want to be personally. And I think that would be the area he would challenge me in. may not be greed, I don't think that's an issue, but I have other things I struggle with. And so I think for us, it would be that, hey, the one thing that's in your way is this. And so he said, you, you need to sell. He would tell him to this guy, he said, you need to sell everything you have. Well, was he doing that because he's being a legalist? No, he tells us right After that, he says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure. Are you doing that because, because you're just being mean to me? And what is it? No, here's why he did it. Then come follow me. It was like he said, these things are in the way of this relationship that I want with you. There are idols that have gotten in the way, so remove them from your life and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad. But Jesus chased after him and said, wait, wait, you don't have to change. Wait, wait, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I put those expectations, wait, wait, just go ahead, go ahead, just keep doing what you're doing, keep being selfish, keep doing those, wait, wait, just keep doing that. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus let him walk away. He must not care about it. They just said, like just a few verses before, Jesus felt real love for this guy. So real love says, look, in order to follow me like you want to, it's not, it's not that there's something missing in your life. It's that something is in a place it shouldn't be. If, if you want to follow me like that, then let's talk about this. And Jesus, he was laying that out so the guy could have a closeness and, and intimacy in his relationship with the Lord. Because, again, Jesus didn't come so we could have religion. He came so we could have a relationship. And it was like, this is in the way of what you want. You've got to remove it. It'll allow you to follow me. The guy looked at him. It was like, no. And Jesus, in his love, did not change his expectations of what he had for the man. Didn't go chasing after him. It's okay. I'll change my mind. In fact, he turned and looked to the people that were with him. He said, It's really hard when people put their trust in riches. And the truth of the matter is, we can even say this, it's really hard when any of us put our trust in something other than Jesus to enter the kingdom. It's when he confronts us, I doubt if it's always about the same thing because I don't think, you know, some some of you struggle with the same things I struggle with. Some of you struggle with different things. If you heard about the things I struggle with, you're like, really? there's that thing in our life that's always competing for the place that was intended only for Jesus. And love confronts us about that. And love will not change its mind because I don't want to do it. The expectation of love stays the same, not because Jesus is just hardened, but because he knows That if he changes, that we'll never have the walk with him that we want, and this thing is in the way of that. It's like he's saying, quit putting that first. Get it it away from there. Come follow me. God's love is not indifferent to how I live my life. Love isn't. Love isn't what? It isn't indifferent to the decisions I make, to how I conduct my relationships, to how I treat other people, to how I respond and how I spend my time or the things that, it's not indifferent to any of those. His love beckons me to a walk with him that challenges me and requires of me to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. That's the call of love. Love is not like a doting parent that looks at us and just is indifferent to what we do. He does love us. The Bible says this about Psalm 139, he thinks about us so much you can't even count how much he thinks about us. He loves you. He loves me. And that love is so genuine that it says, rise up. Rise up, you were made for more than this. I don't want you to be in bondage to that anymore. I don't want you to be a slave to that anymore. I don't want you to settle for that anymore. I want you to rise up. Because <clears throat> love isn't indifferent. I want you to just. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And as they do that, man, if you signed up for baptism, if you would quietly make your way out of your seat and go towards the back and out that door right there will help you. Let's just spend a moment with God. Let the Lord just deal with you and just speak to you and and just challenge us in front of us. Maybe this is a time for surrender in certain areas of our life or a time for repentance. To defend the faith that grace is not indifferent to the life that we live. Love is not indifferent to the life that we live. Let's just spend a moment with God.